0: Don't raise your hand if you don't have the notes from last week raise your hand we've got a few Miss Gina would you would you grab theirs? we've got some notes out here would you grab those as Miss Gina comes by with the notes just throw your hand up and uh, and and she'll give those to you all right so we're on we're on the the, the tab in your notes it says does the New Testament teach church membership so that's what we're going to be talking about now as we're talking about it. so we're talking about saved church membership that is a that is a, now listen, if you've been a Baptist all your life, and when I say that, you probably go, well, duh, we're gonna have saved church membership, right? Isn't that what we do? Well, there's you're gonna be you're gonna learn as we continue through this, you're gonna learn that a lot of churches today, that's not a big deal. They they don't make a big deal of it. It's not that's not even a concern. Um, it's, it's like an afterthought, okay? So, But we're going to look at it, and that's what we've been talking about it, it, is, is, you know, what does church mean? Um, it, what is the, the church universal? And then you've got the local congregation. And now we come to this part about does the New Testament uh, teach church membership? So when the disciples gathered in the upper room, that's Acts chapter 1, before the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the New Testament says that Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. The Bible notes that that uh, that there were about 120 gathered, which many Bible interpreters perceive uh, to mean the membership role. They 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 the many of the Bible interpreters believe that really is what that was saying. There is that they had the body of Christ, the church, the infant church was together right there, and this was kind of the role. They had 120 people there, uh, which. Um, uh, uh, so, it's, so to speak, it was a membership role of that infant church. And, and in this case, which is interesting when you think about this, we've talked about the, the universal churches, all believers you know, for, for, from, 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 uh, from there at Pentecost to, to the rapture, that's, that's the universal church, everyone that is a believer. But at that point, right there, when they gathered together, you had the entire universal church and the entire local church there together. I'd never thought about that. As I was studying this, I thought, wow, that's an incredible thought. But I mean, you know, The first thing you'd want to say is, oh, no, 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 that, that would be no, because they hadn't gone anywhere else yet. At that point, at that point, there was, um, that was the, that was the church. That was the universal church. That was the local church all there at Jer- Jerusalem, vir- virtually it, it, in that one spot at the same time in the same place. And um, It changed really, really quickly, as you know, the history there. So whether we dogmatically adopt the view of a church membership role or not, the fact remains that the disciples, those followers of Christ, were numbered at a specific time and in a very specific location. So from that humble beginning, the remainder of the book of Acts reports multitudes of new converts being added to the church. So when you have, you know, if, if you go, well, is there such a thing as church membership? Well, when you start talking about people being added to the church, it's pretty clear that there is this thing of, of, of us being separate, of us being called out. Jesus using that word ecclesia, talking about the called out ones, okay? So when, when we would do well to note that Acts 2.41, there appear three there, there appear to be three specific steps that the first Christians followed, which Baptists believe set the pattern for the Church age regarding church membership. And nowhere in Scripture is there any indication that this order is different. So we're going to look at the order of how this flows, okay? So there's a threefold progression of Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And it's the three words are received, baptized, and added. So the first is, We see salvation coming to an individual by believing the gospel message, says those who gladly received his words. Those who gladly received his words were those who who heard the gospel and they responded to the gospel by faith. And God's grace saved them through faith. Amen? So that's what they're... by believing the gospel. Not just hearing it, not just saying, ah, you know, I think Jesus was a real person. It's not a cognitive belief. It's a faith belief. When we talk about it, it's a faith belief. It's putting their faith in the gospel and what Jesus did in, in putting their faith in Him. It is this act, therefore the receiving, or, or example of that, receiving the word, believing by faith that places a person into the body of Christ or the universal church. And you can see John 1, 12, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 10, 9 through 13, and many other verses. But it, but it is that when we place our faith in Christ, then we're born again. When the Holy Spirit, and you know there's the whole process, you hear the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God works through that. When the Word of God is preached, I, there is no doubt in my mind, when the Word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit of God is at work. Okay? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So when the Word of God is preached, that's why, that's why I, I want to share the gospel every time I have a chance. Because somebody may be sitting there, and they, they've been in church their whole life, they've never heard. Maybe they, they, they were in a church that never presented the gospel. I I was in a church right out of college for a couple of years. And um, I was going with a friend of mine. I don't remember in, in a year and a half, two years, or whatever, I was there in that church, not one time did I hear the gospel preached. Not one time. It was very, really, looking back, it was a very liberal uh, Southern Baptist church. Just dead. And the guy was... Uh, you know, he's just one. That, it's just what you would think. He's just a liberal. He just was not even sure if he believed the Word of God. So there's churches where people sit and they think they're doing right, and and they know that you know I, I'm I'm this. I'm a Christian. I'm a bad I'm whatever. And they've never heard the gospel. they never responded to the gospel. But when the, when the gospel is presented, the Holy Spirit of God works in that. And I believe that He works in our hearts. He brings conviction. Now, if if, if you're not drawn to the Lord, if you're not convicted. You know, you have to be drawn. And that's this thing of, you know, the once saved, always saved. You know, they go, once saved, always saved. You know, you Baptist. Yeah, we are. But, but the truth is, you have to be once saved. And, and it can't just be you don't get to come to Jesus on your terms. Okay? So trying to, there's a whole lot here in theology I'm trying to make, trying to not muddy up the waters, or, but, but you've got to understand that. My daughter at six years old, she responded in an invitation, came down and prayed a prayer. Two years later, my daughter got saved. Because she, she came down because everybody else was coming down. She got drawn into that. And she goes down, and they said, well, do you believe this? Do you believe that? And she's like, I'm sure she was like, Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, whatever. And so she prayed a prayer. Listen, there is no prayer that you can pray. There are no abracadabra magic words you can pray to be born again. But when, when you hear the gospel, and you, then the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of your sin, convicts you that you are lost, you need a Savior, When you're convicted of that and you respond to that by faith and trusting what Jesus Christ has done for you and what He has offered to you, that's when we're regenerated. By God's grace, we are saved through faith, okay? And so we have that. So at that point, when a person believes, they respond to the gospel, they believe by faith... That's when they're born again, and we see that all through the Scriptures. We further note that the grammatical construction of this phrase indicates that the action of received His Word is accomplished before the action of the main verb in the sentence, were baptized, occurs. Okay, So the first thing is they believe. They receive the Word of God. They receive that. Second, once a person has received the message of Christ, he then gives a public profession to his newfound faith by submitting to New Testament baptism by immersion in water, okay? So that's what we see in the New Testament. When, when the, the, the folks, that when they came to faith, they got baptized. They didn't get baptized to save them, okay? There are those that will tell you that, that that's what you, oh, yeah, well, you, you believe by faith, but you're really saved by being baptized. Be careful because that Duck Dynasty group, their, their church that they attend and stuff, teach that. Now, I researched it 15, 16, 17 years ago. And I remember the Baptists were, boy, we just love the Duck Dynasty guys. want to have them come and speak. Their doctrine does not match with our doctrine. So you need to know what, you need to know what people believe. Miss Debbie White, I, I commend her. She's not, not in here tonight. But Miss Debbie, I love it because she'll text me and ask me questions about something. She said, you know, somebody referenced me to this. And so we start looking at it, and we find out where it came from. And so somebody had sent her something and wanted her to watch it. turns out it was Seventh-day Adventist. So you have to, you've got to know. Know who you're listening to before you go to listening to them. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Know who you're listening to. Know what they believe. You go, well, it's, what they're saying is good. Well, it may sound good, but it's going to be mixed with lies and things that are not true and things that are not according to Scripture. So you need to know. All right, so the the thing is, a person comes to faith, and then there's this profession of faith, and that's what this is. And when someone says, you know, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, the next step is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. A believer's baptism. We've stressed this. Why does it say believer's baptism? Because it's a believer who gets baptized. You don't baptize someone that's not a believer because that doesn't save them. It doesn't change anything. Baptism doesn't wash away your sin. People talk about, I need to get baptized. I want to wash away my sin. I want to be renewed and get my sins washed away. That ain't how you do it. So, so baptism, is it, that's your public profession. It's you identifying with Christ. And in the New Testament, when they came to faith, that was what they were doing. Man, you want to talk about expressing your faith. Publicly, that's what they did. When they say publicly, what we're doing is public to the local church. It's not really public the way it was then. they find a pool of water in, in Jerusalem, and they baptize them right there in the public. You're talking about everybody's watching. Hey, what's John doing over there? John, John, John's over there getting dunked. What's going on? And they see a life change. They see a profession that I'm now a follower of Jesus. And in many cases, it would have brought persecution on them. So, you know, you think people are going to fake that? I'm going to get baptized if I didn't really mean it or it wasn't serious about it. Because it, it really, it could be a matter of life and death. Okay, so you're born again, and then you follow the Lord in believer's baptism by immersion in water. This public open, uh, act openly identifies the new believer with Jesus Christ and his church. Third thing then, following salvation and baptism, new believers are, were, they were added to them. They were added to them. So who is the, the them here? Uh, what entity were they, these converts being added to? Well, in this, in this part, the New Living Translation renders this, this, that phrase there, added to the church. The Amplified Bible indicates they were added to the body of believers. Clearly, the context indicates that, that these new Christ followers were added to the church that was at Beth, uh, uh, there at Jerusalem. About 3,000 were added to the original 120 church members. Can you imagine church blowing up like that? Y'all, be, y'all be, there'd be some fights going on about who got whose seat. Where am I going to sit? We, we, we got 220 seats in here, and all of a sudden 3,000 people in Geneva get saved. I mean, that's, that's what was going. 3,000 people just that quick were added, and, and they're, they're part of the church. Now, these new, now, obviously, they didn't have a building like this and stuff, but they met in a lot of different places. So these new converts, by their profession of faith and baptism, were thus united and identified with the disciples of Christ. So the summary of this is on the day of Pentecost, the new believers were added to the universal church by Christ, by their profession of faith, okay? They were added at salvation. They're added to the universal church. You can be in the universal church and not be a part of a local church. You shouldn't be, but there are those who you can be saved and not be a member of a local church. So this is, biblically speaking, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or, or spirit baptism. As Paul put it, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. That baptism is the baptism of salvation. The Lord, people talk about this second baptism. you got to get this second feeling. No, no, no. You are The Holy Spirit of God comes in and dwells within you and lives within you with the day that you trust, the day you believe, the moment you believe. The Holy Spirit comes in and gives you life, okay? And so he baptizes you. Are, you are then baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, then the ones who were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the universal church were then baptized in water as they were added to the local church at Jerusalem. So, so then the next thing here: New Testament saints continued to be added to the church. All right? Uh, several verses there, Acts 2:47, 5.14, 11:24. 24. I think those references are in your, all those are in your notes. um, If you want to go back and check these out. So we furthermore read the, cons- the, the consistent New Testament declaration, such as the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Added to the church daily, Acts 2.47. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, Acts 5.14. A great many people were added to the Lord, Acts 11.24. In every case of new believers being added to the church, we must correctly assume that the same three-fold pattern of Acts 2.41 was the standard practice, salvation, Baptism, church membership. It wasn't church membership, baptism, salvation. It wasn't church membership, salvation, baptism. the, The order is clear. Salvation is first. Believers' baptism is next. Church membership after that. From this biblical example and pattern, most Baptists have for centuries consistently followed the same model. They believe this is the only acceptable arrangement for church membership, a credible profession of faith, okay, followed by water baptism as the entryway to the local church, church family, church fellowship. And so I think we talked a little bit about this last week, how, you know, if someone, wants to, if someone makes a decision and trust Christ, we'll, man, we'll baptize them. If they have a clear, a clear, you know, if you talk to somebody and their, their salvation testimony is very um, spotty, it's very, it's, they're not clear in it, they don't, they don't really understand. You know what, we're going we're to hold off on that. Because I don't, I don't want someone getting baptized and, and going, no, 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 I'm, I know I'm saved because I got baptized. No, I, you need to know you're saved because you know the scriptures and you know you're saved. Okay, you need to know what the Scriptures say, and, and, and we live on the truth. Our salvation, we, we know that, we, we can know that because of what the Scriptures say. So I'll ask people, you know, what did you do? And they say, well, I, 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 I heard, and, and I was convicted. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed to be saved, and, and I repented of my sin, and I called on Jesus. okay. You called on the Lord, so the Scripture says, "If I believe in my, if, if I confess on my mouth and believe in my heart, you know th- that thou shalt be saved." Right. So that's what the Scriptures tell us. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's the promise of Scripture there. So you hold to the truths of Scripture in that. So if somebody says, "Well, you know, I've just always been a Christian," somebody comes forward and says, "I want to be baptized." Well, why do you want to be baptized? Well, you know, I've always been a Christian, but I have i never been baptized. Well. Okay, if you really are a Christian, then you need to be baptized if you haven't. But how can you, how, how, well, you're telling me you've always been a Christian. Anybody ever had anybody tell, tell them that? I have. I've had people tell me they've always been a Christian. I, uh, I've shared this before, I'm sure, with FCA, some of the kids that would come forward wanting to be leaders in FCA, and I've always been a Christian. Raised in a Methodist church, never, never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. De- didn't understand being born again, the church they were in. They'd never heard that. They, they didn't understand. And I've had kids who came to faith through our interview process for them to be a leader, in leadership with FCA. But they just always been in church. So if you've always been in church, you're a Christian, right? You've you got to be. I was, you know, I was born in church, basically, I, always. So, and they understand. And then you explain to them, well, do you have a birthday every year? Yeah. Well, what's that recognizing? Well, it's the day I was born. So, oh, so you haven't always existed. You haven't always been a person. There was a point where you began to be a person, Right. You were conceived, now much later you were born into this world, right? You were birthed into this world. Yeah, I said it's the same way spiritually. You have to be spiritually birthed. You have to be born again. Really? Okay. Um, so if someone makes a profession of faith, it's a solid profession, we'll baptize them. But just like what we're doing right now with our class, we want folks to know why they're joining the church. We want folks to want to join the church. We're not going to just stick people, you baptize them, and they automatically become a member of the church. That needs to be a choice that they're making and, and to be in, that it's a, a good choice they're making. I love it. Avery Lobel. Y'all know little Avery? Little Avery. She ain't little anymore. Avery called me last Sunday morning. She said, hey, what's the process? Why, how, how do I go about getting in the membership class? I said, you just come on. Because she, she, she's, she's, listen, what is she doing? She's working out her faith. She's working out her faith. Not, not what mom and daddy are trying to do. She's working out her faith. God's working in her, and she's working out her faith. I love it. It's so good. Every context of a, of a local church in the New Testament indicates saved membership. Throughout the New Testament, those added to the local churches first became believers before baptism and membership. But furthermore, the Apostle Paul declares that the New Testament church is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? That, now that you there is, is a, it's a plural, so it's talking about the church. It is talking about me. It's talking about you, but it's talking about the church. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells permanently, is the the idea here, permanently in you? And when you talk about in you, it's collectively and individually. So he's talking to the church. The church, the body of Christ, is the temple of God. But you individually, we are the temple of God. God indwells us, okay? Okay. Since that is is so, each member of the church is presumed to be a born-again believer in Christ, notwithstanding that there will certainly be tares among the wheat or false professors among the true believers in the visible church. Uh, We talk about this often. Let's see, 188 people in here Sunday. I would not bet my life, if my life depended on it, I wouldn't bet my life that every person in here was truly born-again. I would not. I do not have that confidence. There's so many folks who have a false profession or a false uh, assurance or something, and and they've never truly been born again. And you know what? Satan loves those lies. Oh, well, you, you did this. You're good. You're good. You don't need to do anything else. Hey, you're saved. You're going to heaven. You just you can live like you want to now. You're going to heaven. Satan loves those little lies and those little things. And and um, so there, there are always going to be people within a church, even in membership, there are going to be some that get through that aren't truly born again. But we should take every step possible to ensure that our membership is born again. Raymond and I were talking this afternoon, and this came up, and we are talking about, you know, that's why so many churches today have so many problems. When you've got, let's just say a, a quarter of our church were We're lost. How do you think that's going to function when we're trying to move spiritually and make decisions spiritually when a third or fourth of your church are lost where are they going to be in that process they're going to be car- they're, they're carnal they're carnal they everything's temporal they're thinking worldly because they't they're not regenerated they don't have't they, have, they don't have the new man living within them that's going to bring problems and I, I guarantee you that's where a lot of these churches, it may have been solid at some point, but you start letting you know, your congregation just be whoever shows up is all of a sudden a voting member, and now they don't like what you're saying because that's offensive. You know, you were, that was really too harsh. You shouldn't have said that. You should, you know, I know the Bible says it, but you shouldn't have said that. That was just, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings and somebody might leave. They may not stay. Well, tough. We're going to speak truth. And that, that's where that gets to where, you, you see where I'm going with that? It, our, our, our membership must be a saved membership. Um, this means that membership in the New Testament church is always preceded by a credible confession of faith in Christ. It's a great word there, credible. Confession of faith in Christ, followed by a conscious decision to submit to believers' baptism. When Paul greeted the New Testament churches in his epistles, his salutations left no doubt that he was addressing believers. To the church at Rome, he called them beloved of God, called to be saints, Romans 1-7. To the Corinthian church, full of problems though it was, Paul addressed the members as sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, 1 Corinthians 1-2. Other reference that indicates saved church membership... Second Corinthians 1 1, Ephesians 1 1, Philippians 1 1, Colossians 1 2, all of those verses, if you go back, it's gonna Paul's talking to saved people. He's not talking to a mixed multitude there. He's talking to believers. The church was believers. So the New Testament is reasonably clear. Um, that church membership is important and necessary. However, it is only available to individuals who are saved by grace through faith in Christ and have been obedient to the Lord's command to be baptized. So there are folks, years ago we had a guy, you, you probably remember. Um, the, you remember who I'm talking about, but we had a guy in our church. He, he would come out, man, he would serve. We had a we were building a building on the campus. It took us a year to build this thing. Did it all volunteer-wise. It took us almost a year. He was out every workday we ever did. He was faithful to church, had never been baptized. We talked to him about it. He would not get baptized, but he never would give us a reason. He never would give us a clear reason. It was just, really, it, one of two things. Either he wasn't born again, and I questioned that with him. He'd swear he was, but... You know, for a true believer, why would you not want to be obedient and do the first thing God tells you to do after you're born again? I mean, so that's a great way to start your relationship with Christ, isn't it? Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. I was going to hell. I was bound. I was going to bust hell wide open. I know I was going to hell. I was lost, and you died for me, and you saved me, Lord. You want me to get baptized? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, that's... Doesn't that sound kind of facetious? But that's exactly that's what you're doing. But we have we have folks we have folks in several churches I've been in that are not members simply because they refuse to be baptized. I don't understand it. I don't know why a person who has truly been born again would not humble themselves and submit to believers' baptism. I mean, I don't even think it's a, it needs to be like a humble thing. I think it's like, man, I wanted to. I when I got saved and was in church and my pastor was talking to me about getting baptized, I was talking to my mom about it. She didn't want to hear nothing about it. She, she, would, she didn't want anything. It was, you know, when I was growing up, man, it was, um, ah, this goes, this goes out into the whole world. When I was growing up, it was danged if I do and danged if I don't. If I went to church, I got criticized. If I didn't go to church, I was a hip, hypocrite. I was backslid. I got criticized for everything. So I just finally figured out, you know what? If, if you're not going to support it, you're going to push against it. I want you to be there, but if you don't want to be there, fine, I'm going to follow the Lord in believers' <coughs> baptism. And I got baptized. And then when I got baptized, guess what was said? Well, you should have let me know I'd have been there. <laughs> I do feel better. I couldn't have done that a week ago. That would have been bad. Pow. I'd have just went out on the floor. All right, so a quotable quote. The biblical basis for seeing the church as composed exclusively of believers is so strong and obvious that the difficulty is in seeing how this idea was ever obscured. This principle of a regenerated church membership more than anything else marks our Baptist distinctives in the Christian world today. And that was written by uh, written a, bit, a book called Biblical Foundations for Bible uh, Biblical Foundations for Baptist Churches in, in 2005 by John Hammett. Great quote: How in the world, when you look at the Scripture, how do you ever get to that where you go, "Wow, that's just not a big deal"? So it is important to note that church membership per se will neither save a person nor keep a person saved. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, and not of works, including church membership. Okay, lest any should boast. Church membership in and of itself has nothing to do with salvation. In fact, the Bible explicitly does not establish church membership as a requirement for salvation. Okay, there's there it's just not. It's not it's not there. However, the Bible does tell us that the local church is God's agency for reaching the world for Christ, and consequently, saved people should be obedient to, to uh, obedient and be joined to a Christ-centered, Bible-based New Testament local church. In some, the Bible clearly does teach local church membership, but is only available to saved individuals. Thus, the Baptist distinctive of saved membership is undoubtedly a uh, scriptural doctrine. Now, um, we'll look at some views of other churches. I think I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read through this. There's a lot here. I'm just going to kind of highlight. I think I'm going to just kind of highlight. Uh, I'm going to try to. All right, so let's just start with the universal Catholic practice. So Catholics teach that regeneration is the result of baptism and membership in the Roman Catholic Church. The Catholic Encyclopedia states it clearly. Holy baptism holds the first place among the sacraments because it is the door of the spiritual life. For by it we are made members of Christ and incorporated with the church. Now, you, you hear what's being said. Now, Trish, you can, you can, you can verify this. You what is being written right there, what is said by them, their belief is, for by it, not talking about faith in Christ, by it, talking about church membership, baptism, church membership, for by it we are made members of Christ. The idea with the Catholic Church, correct me if I'm wrong, is that when you join the Catholic Church, you become a part of the, they would say they are the universal church. They believe they are the universal church. And if you're not a Catholic, you're not going to heaven. So if you want to be saved, you got to join the Catholic church. And it's really simple. If you want to get some insurance, just go join them and get sprinkled, and, I mean, you're in. You don't even have to. They do it. Yeah, exactly. They do, it to, they do this with children, so children are introduced into the church. Well, Let me, let me read on. Um, and since through the first man death entered into all, unless we are born again of water and the Holy Ghost we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven okay so in addition catholics believe the effect of this sacrament is the remission of all sin original and actual all right so the idea is we understand we're born with a sin nature amen you want know that that's why your little angel your little angel viper in a diaper <laughs> i've never heard that but that fits viper in a diaper Viper in a dive. Look, have any of you at home, how many of you have a class? You know, we teach our kids, right? How many of you have a class to teach your kids to, to lie? But will they lie? Yeah. Cooper lied right up here. He said, no, I, I don't know those. <laughs> he had stage fright. I'll give him a pass. Um, you don't teach them to lie. You don't teach them to steal. You don't teach them to be mean or selfish. Selfish, boy, that's a big one. Uh, you know, you see these kids, we've had them back here playing sometimes, and one of them builds a castle, and the other comes over and just knocks it down. Where does that come from? You taught them that, didn't you? You said, look, any time a kid's building something, any time they're doing something constructive, you tear it apart. You just, you just ruin their day. No, I mean, unless you're raising pit bulls, and, and, and you, you're raising them the same way you're raising your children, you wouldn't do that. Uh, we don't have to teach kids. Uh, to sin, because we have a sin nature. Well, if they got sprinkled as an infant and it, it did away with original sin, they had no sin, then they would be sinless. And they, would, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't respond that way, okay? It's messed up. Uh, to the Catholic, baptism, i.e., the rite of sprinkling infants, children, or confessing adults takes away original sin, confers sanctifying grace. Well, I thought grace was by faith. I thought we were saved by God's grace through faith in the gospel, and brings the people baptized into the body of Christ and into membership of the Roman Catholic Church. By their statements, Catholics show that persons may become members of the Catholic Church without professing personal faith of any kind, as long as they have been baptized according to Catholic tradition. Children, uh, children, therefore, become members before they can talk, walk, or stand, much less profess personal faith in Christ. You know, if people would say, oh, you bash Catholics. I don't bash Catholics. I'm just telling you that they're wrong. I'm not, That's not bashing. I don't think it's bashing. Maybe it is bashing. But I'm, I'm going to call out truth. I call out truth with Joel Osteen. I'll call it out with false prophets who, who, who lie, who do not teach the truth of Scripture. I'm going to call it out. I don't have a problem with that. And if it's a church that's doing it, look, they're, they're a, I'm going to research something. Someone told me something this week about a church in our community that something they're doing. If I find out it's true, I'm going I'm to tell you, and I'm going to name names. So I'm, I'm going to do a little research. I'll let you know. It has to do with church membership, saved church membership by a Baptist church. Okay. I'll let you know. Typical Protestant practices. Okay, Protestants, of course, comprise a number of different Christian denominations. So it's not just Catholics I'm going to bash, I'm going to bash others here too. Um, uh, Different Christian denominations, each with various doctrinal views on many topics. Yet a fairly consistent belief among many Protestants carried over from the Catholic practice during the Reformation is an insistence on some form of infant or child baptism as a means of entering into church membership. Okay, how can you baptize a six week old child and put them into church membership? That, 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 they, they don't, they, they, ugh. soul liberty, they're not making a choice. They're not choosing to follow Christ. They're not choosing to join the church. They're not choosing to be a part of the body. None of that. There's no choice. It's just you do it and then you're going to tell them, well, you're a Christian, you're okay. You're in the church, you're going to heaven. False, they'll have a false, I mean, that's where I say, you know, these kind of things, these kind of lies, these kind of faults, when you give someone a false hope, you give them a false testimony, man, you got blood on your hands. Joel Osteen inviting people all over, never said a word about Jesus dying for their sin, never said a word about sin, never said a word about their lostness, but, but, but if you yes, yes, brothers, I just feel I'd be amiss. I'd be amiss if I didn't offer you, offer you the opportunity to be a part of the family of God. <laughs> if, you'll just, if you'll just join me, join me in a prayer. You just pray this prayer tonight, you can be a part of the family of God. That's genieism. That's, that's hocus-pocus, open says me. It's, it's, this. it's just speaking these words. And that's not what saves us. Uh, the technical theological term for this practice of baptizing infants or children is paedo-baptism. Paid, is that correct? Paedobaptism. baptism from, from the Greek word pa I, paid, I can't help but think about the little Padawans in Star, Trek, Star Wars. That's what I think about with that. It's, uh, it's, uh, listen, George Lucas had to have been religious as a kid. He got so much church stuff in his movies. With Star Wars, all through there. Uh, So, that Greek word of paedion, meaning child or infant, this is is in contrast to credo baptism from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe. The practice of baptism, of baptizing only those able to make conscious profession of faith, and we would believe that. Someone has to be able to make a conscious profession of faith if we're going to to baptize them. In the Presbyterian example, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the primary statement of Presbyterian beliefs includes the following information about baptism. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace for his engrafting into Christ. Well, that sure sounds like they're talking about a person's faith saving them. No, no, no. They're talking about baptism putting them into this. this it's baptism that's doing this. Um, into Christ of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God. Through, uh, through Jesus Christ, to walk in the newness of life. Dipping, dipping of the person into the water is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. Not only those that do actually profess faith in and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. They really really ought to write that in their doctrines then, shouldn't they? Because their doctrinal beliefs, for all of these, you know, look, you want to do some research, go go to some different denominations. Go to Catholics' websites and read what they believe about salvation. I mean, you may find one that will actually say, we believe that you are saved by grace through faith. Now get on down and it says, but is that enough? No, it's not enough. So now you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do that, and you got to do that. And you hope that when you die, there's enough people praying for you to get you out of purgatory. I mean, that's the deal. Because you cannot know that you know that you know. There's always that wondering. But their doctrinal statement, like right there, my, my, um, we're, we're out of time. I'm going to have to stop right here. Uh, we'll stop right here. But my, my sister, years ago, I may have shared this with you, but my sister was in, in the Methodist church, and one of her oldest son, I, I knew he'd been baptized because they made a real big deal about it when he got baptized. He was probably 10. Do you remember, Gina? He was probably 9, 10, 8, 9, 10 years old. And he had gotten baptized. And so I saw, I saw on Facebook that she said, Oh, I believe my son. He's, a, he's, he's so close to being saved. He's just so close to trusting Jesus. And I went... Wait a minute. Now, I know, I know y'all baptized that boy. So I called her. I said, I, I said help, me, help me out. What's going on? So I thought he was already saved. He's, she said, no, no. I said, wait, wait, wait. He's never, he's never made a profession of faith? No. I said, well, wait. Didn't I, y'all baptize him? Oh, she got, boy, she got mad like that. It was hot. She was mad at me. Please don't be letting her listen. She was, she was hot with me. And I said, "Look, I'm not. Here. I'm not calling you to have an argument. I said, I don't understand what you're, you know, what the method what the Methodists are doing in this. I don't understand that. It, it, believe baptism is for believers. It's believers' baptism. You're to be baptized after salvation, not you know in place of it later on. And 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 so when she finally calmed down and we talked about it, she said that what they what they tell them they believe is so if you baptize an eight year old, then when he gets saved. God applies that just as though he got saved when he was 16. Then why do it? Why do it? And here's the other thing if that 16 year old who made the profession of faith but was baptized at 8, he cannot be baptized then. If he is, he's being rebaptized and the priest or the preacher or whatever could be kicked out. I went, wow, really? Hmm, maybe I ought to read the Bible. It'll help him. Help him with that. Help will understand that. All right, so uh, all right, so we'll stop right there. We'll pick up on that next week. Yeah, we'll finish up next week. All right. Any any questions, comments? Listen, I hope I don't sound. I don't want to sound. Um, well, I don't know what I want to sound like. I'm just going to tell you the truth, and sometimes. Some people get offended by that. I made, a, I made a comment years ago about Benny Hinn, and I had a lady light into me. I was teaching shape. Some of you are familiar with shape. I was talking about shape. I mentioned something, said something about Benny Hinn. Oh, my goodness. After that class was over, she, she darted up there to me. She was all in my face about, you better be careful when you're talking about the man of God. I said, mm, wait a minute, who was I talking about yeah. that was the man of God? Because I know who I talked about in here, and that, no, we're not talking. That's not what we're and uh, so people get very torqued sometimes. Um, uh, there was somebody here that got very torqued with, uh, with Raymond because he made a comment about Joel Osteen several years ago. Ooh, got hot. And then we sat down. We sat down with this person. Gina and I sat down with this person probably for two hours. She talked them through this. Here's what you understand. When someone's not teaching truth, they're not your friend. They're, they're not a prophet of God. They're not a man of God when they're speaking lies. When they're not telling truth, that's wickedness. That's wickedness. If I'm up here spewing out false theology, you know, just whatever, false, all this, if I'm just twisting the Scriptures, I'm lying them, and I'm not teaching the truth of Scripture, there ain't nothing good in me to do, in doing that. Because that, that could lead someone to hell. Nothing good in that. Any questions, comments? Anything? Real, real real quick. We're already past. I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am.